Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Anthropologically Speaking. I'm Katie. And I'm Iz. I haven't been here in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, actually, maybe. Um, but I'm here for Isabel tonight. She's really busy, so hopefully I'll be back on the show a lot more. Yeah, so tonight is a really, or I guess I'm saying tonight because plot twist, we're, we're pre-recording, we're not live anymore, um, but this afternoon we have a special guest. So, special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Kaylin Dobson and I'm a second year PhD student at Texas State University. Amazing. So we're so happy to have you on the show. Um, super excited to talk with you uh, about some monkey business things. Um, so yeah, neither neither Isabel or I, I think Isabel's a little more familiar with primatology than I am. Um, but uh, we're, we're kind of blank slates right now. So uh, let's see what you can imprint in us for the next half hour. Um, so I guess to start off, what, what got you interested in primatology and anthropology as a whole? Well, so in my undergrad, I went to Auburn University and I actually got a degree in zoology uh, with a conservation focus um, and just wanted to essentially save the world in general. Um, and so during my time there, I did a lot of different um, internships. I did a lot of different experiences. And one of those was going to Panama to work at a primate rehabilitation center. And I hand raised a howler monkey. Um, and the rest is history, as you could say. Um, so I just fell in love with primates, um, saw that they were so similar to us and just amazing creatures, wanted to help them, mm -hmm. and went from zoology um, undergrad to an anthropology master's at Iowa State, and now I'm in an applied anthropology PhD at Texas State. That's so awesome, and I can't I imagine getting to work with, like, because I mean, all my work in anthro is with deceased humans, so getting mm -hmm. to work with live primates sounds absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Do you have, like, a favorite part about getting to work with this kind of awesome animal? Um, so I worked in different uh, situations. So I've worked at rehabilitation centers where we're providing care for orphan and injured animals. So being able to release them back into the wild is the best moment. Um, but I've also worked with them in um, zoological facilities. So as a zookeeper and as an educator um, and you know, the very small daily interactions with them and making sure they have the best care possible is always um, fun. I love whenever enrichment goes well and they just love whatever you made them. It's like Christmas for them every day. Um, and I've also worked a couple of times with um, research uh, facilities and research centers. And that's just cool because you're um, providing information that people can use that's very good for our health and well-being and making sure those primates are still happy and healthy. So it, it's multifaceted. It depends on what you're um, working with. Of course, in the field, um, I do field research as well. And just being able to be out in the jungle with the primates is, it's my happy place. Before we, sorry, can I go ahead, Katie? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Before we get into questions more about um, your research specifically, um, just for our listeners, can you give just a basic um, definition or description of like primatology or the study of primatology? Oh. <laughs> Um, so, primatology is a, a subset of biological anthropology within the umbrella um, anthropology. 
Um, so we are anthropologists, um, and anthropologists, of course, study people. Um, but then we're in biological anthropology, so we study the biological side and not the cultural aspects. And then primatology, we are looking at non-human primates um, and looking at their behavior, their evolutionary um, traits and characteristics. Um, and and it, a lot of the times it's to figure out things about us that we don't know, um, but it's also um, extended to just knowledge about our closest living relatives. So primatology is all about the monkeys. Yeah. And I find that interesting too, that um, you mentioned that like not only, you know, when you study monkeys, you can learn about things that are not only just about the monkey themselves, but you said it's useful for us too. Um, so can you talk about some of the context where we can learn about um, things that are useful for us as humans through working with monkeys? Well, so it's most easily seen whenever you're working with apes, uh, because we are apes ourselves. Um, so our closest living relative is the chimpanzee. Um, and they have several characteristics and behaviors that are actually quite similar to us. Um, and we can use them kind of a, as a model uh, to help us understand um, ourselves um, and also understand our evolutionary past. Um, but you can use that and do that with all primates. Um, because, you know, we're still related to lemurs, even though they're a bit far off from us. Um, but, I mean, all primates are um, from, you know, a same common ancestor. And, and learning about them and understanding their lives um, helps us learn about ourselves, even in ways that you, you can't even, like, think of off the top of your head. Um, so it's just exciting. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess more specifically, what kind of things are you interested in with your own research? Uh, so right now I'm looking at primate microbiomes, um, particularly gut microbiota. Um, so our gut microbiome is all of the little, essentially critters, um, bacteria, archaea, all sorts of wonderful things that live in our bellies um, and help us be able to eat food and digest it um, and have healthy um, bodies. Um, and so I want to look at animals in zoos and do comparative um, study between different facilities to figure out if there are environmental and interaction features of those facilities that are influencing their microbiome. Because uh, your microbiome, if you don't have a healthy gut, you're not going to feel very well um, and you're not going to be healthy. And so it's very important, you know, like us, we eat our yogurt um, to have healthy stomachs. Um, it's the same thing with primates. They have to have healthy guts. And the zoos, we don't know um, what exactly could be impacting and influencing their gut. So I'm going to look into it and see, see what's going on. Um, microbiomes is a, one of the newest um, things that we can do in primatology and in science in general. We can actually um, take fecal samples from the primates and then run uh, DNA extraction, PCRs, and then send it off to CORE uh, to be able to tell us what microbiota are in there. So we can actually do the genetics of the tiny microscopic organisms in our bellies. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. That's and you're working in, so in Texas, you're looking at different zoos um, around where you are. Yeah, so right now we're looking at things in Texas. Um, this wasn't my first research plan. Um, I was supposed to be doing work in Costa Rica. I have several collaborators down there. I was going to be doing a very similar study in sanctuaries 
because there's almost no work on sanctuaries in Costa Rica. I mean, that's a very new and developing um, section of study. But because of COVID, um, the world shut down. And then now we've decided that it is the proper and ethical thing to cancel international research um, at this time. And since I am doing a dissertation and I need these data, um, I, I can't depend on getting the data, but it's also not right for me to force my way um, to go get data for my dissertation. So we've had to switch a little. So right now, yes, Texas. Zoos in Texas. That's, that's really interesting though. And I think, um, like you said, you're looking at different, um, in, like things that could impact um, their microbiome. It's nice in a zoo because I feel like there's a lot of controlled factors, right, that you can look at. Yeah, it's good. We're going to be looking at things like their diet, um, the type of interaction they have with people, um, the social group of the primates, um, and you know, enclosure features, and water quality, and just all the different um, things that can influence the gut microbiome. Is there a specific type of primate you're going to be looking at? Right now, we're looking at squirrel monkeys. Ooh. So it's actually one of the most common species in zoological facilities. That's because, first of all, they're adorable. Um, they're also very easily housed um, and they live in little uh, social groups, which makes it nice and easy to house them in um, not massive enclosures. Um, so it's, it's more, more affordable for facilities and also everyone has them. I mean, I want to do a comparative, so I need everyone to have the same species and squirrel monkeys, that's, that's what we're doing. It's really that's cool. Sorry. I always find it funny how monkeys are, I guess there's probably not a bunch of examples, but in my head, I feel like there are, um, of names of monkeys that relate to other animals, like squirrel monkey. Total sidetrack, but I, I find that a really interesting naming phenomenon. <laughs> I mean, some, some of them are named after the animals, like uh, owl monkeys are named. Um, they're nocturnal primates with very large eyes. That makes sense then, I guess. Oh, are they the really, the really, really cute ones? Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> um, they're tiny. Our name is squirrel monkeys because they're about the size of a squirrel and they yeah. chirp and they're quite quick too. <laughs> oh my God, that's, oh, that's amazing. Cute. I just find the <laughs> cuteness factor with things just gets more exponential as they get tinier. <laughs> But um, obviously, there's a lot more to research than just, you know, picking something based on whether it's cute or not, or else we probably wouldn't have very good science. Um, but um, yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. So uh, you mentioned that you were originally going to look at um, sanctuaries. Now you've uh, shifted to this zoo context. Um, but for those of us that don't know, what, what's the difference between a sanctuary and a zoo? Well, so that depends on what country you're in. Um, and it also just depends on who you're talking to. Um, but mostly um, sanctuaries provide um, housing for primates who found themselves in bad situations. Um, but the goal is not necessarily um, open tourism. Um, it's, it's a refuge, it's a safe haven. Um, it's a place for um, animals to go and recover and have quality care. Um, a lot of facilities, particularly in places where primates are native to, they also have a rehabilitation program. So for instance, the sanctuaries I was collaborating with in Costa Rica, a lot of them are able to release primates back into the wild after they rehab them. 
Um, so there is also kind of a conservation, rehabilitation uh, connotation that goes with the word sanctuary. Um, and then zoos, they can also be sanctuaries. Um, so they can take primates and other animals um, that were pets that weren't supposed to be pets or animals in bad situations. Um, but zoos are often a, a bit more open to the public um, and a bit more um, engaged in public education, though most people who work with primates in particular want to educate as many people as possible because um, they're just amazing animals and we want everyone to be as passionate as we are and if we can share a little bit of that um, most people who work with sanctuary zoos um, rehabilitation centers they want they want to share their knowledge with the public mm -hmm. yeah that's that's excellent um because i mean primates aren't necessarily all in the best situations right now are they like they're they're some of them are really really struggling um so i guess on a more somber note um are are things that humans are doing affecting primates around the world like and if so how are they yeah so uh, there are quite a few primates that are currently uh, critically endangered by the IUCN uh, red list so that's a giant um, international um, committee who work together to figure out um, which animals and plants um, in the world are currently threatened, vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered due to human um, activities. And a lot of the primates um, in the world are in trouble. Thankfully, it's not all of them. Um, there are about 250 species of non-human uh, primates. And not all of them are in critical um, endangerment, um, but one of the uh, worst like, case studies is the orangutan. Um, and of course, I hope people know that um, the palm oil plantations are destroying the rainforest um, at alarming rates. Um, a lot of the issues that uh, primates face that are related to people are deforestation. So cutting down trees, and um, this can be for logging um, or it can also be to make pasture land for cattle and things like that. Also, of course, building homes and structures. Um, and then, of course, the pet trade is also very bad. Um, primates aren't pets. They're super cute and very lovable, but they are not like a cat or dog, um, even if they seem like they'd be great. I've been a zookeeper. I'll tell you, you don't want that in your house. Um, <laughs> it's just a bad idea. Um, and then there's also a small issue of bushmeat. And so some people do hunt primates um, for their own food. I mean, that always has to be placed into context because some people around the world, um, they need to be their families. Um, and, and we call it bushmeat, but it's also just food. Um, so we don't support um, people eating primates, but it is always important to remember the cultural and human part of these things. Um, most people aren't trying to intentionally go out and kill um, primates or most animals for that uh, that purpose. Um, it's mostly people just trying to live and trying to uh, survive. The bigger issue is when it's giant corporations um, who are going in and causing this destruction. I mean, pe uh, people you know, don't have a choice and the primates are placed in precarious situations and they don't have a home, they have nowhere to go and just bad things happen. So there are, you know, really bad things um, occurring to primates, but one of the roles of primatologists around the world um, is to tell people about these things and 
you know, push for people's small actions that can help make a difference. Um, for instance, if something has palm oil in it, please don't buy it. Um, you're supporting them cutting down the rainforest um, and that can impact primates all over the world. Um, just things like that. And don't take selfies with primates or any animal um, that is not domesticated for that, uh, that reason. It's supporting things that you don't even realize you're supporting. So there are things that we can do to make it better. Um, it's just, we have to first acknowledge what's going on, figure out game plan of how to make it better, and then take even small steps just to make the world a better place for primates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whenever I think of, um, I guess, like an unfortunate primate story, just on the small scale, I guess, close to home, it's the, the Ikea monkey um, with uh, the lady that dressed up the monkey in the little coat and brought it to Ikea. And that's just, it, it, you know, that's definitely not the place for, for a monkey. And I mean, that's, Ikea is not its habitat. <laughs> Um, I don't know if any monkeys native to Ikea, um, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like there, yeah, I, there are definitely things that are both on the small scale and on the large scale that, you know, are anthropogenic that are, that are causing these primates harm. Um, but I guess on a more happy note, um, so what are, what what are some like primate facts or I guess like fun facts that you think you know people should know about about primates in general? Bit of a oh, bit goodness. of a broad question, but what should people know this about? Question. Okay. <laughs> fun facts. Let me think. Okay. It doesn't have to be a fact. Maybe even like a fun story, a favorite story too. I got this. No one panicked. All right. So um, one of my favorite primates is the TT monkey. Um, and there are several different species of TT monkey. Um, and they are little brown furry footballs. And they're so cute. Um, and I, they're just precious. I just, anyway. So they tail twine. Um, and they will actually snuggle up to each other. And um, it's normally bonded pairs. Um, and they will snuggle up. And then they have very, very long tails. And they will actually twist them together like a Twizzler because they love each other. And it is so cute, and they will sit there for hours and just coo in the tree together with their little tails twined. And it is so adorable. And I saw it in the wild in Peru when I was doing my master's research, and my heart just melted. It was just so cute. That is so adorable. Is, it's like they're holding hands. <laughs> Except it's those little twisted tails. Oh, they're so cute. That is so sweet. I find that really fascinating how, you know, primates, I think like the idea of like culture and behavior, we always think is just exclusive to human primates, but, you know, non-human primates also have these behaviors and cultures that are fascinating like that. Um, so what kind of things can we learn from like observing like the behavior and almost cultural aspects of primates? Well, so I have two examples that kind of popped to mind. Um, there is a group of macaques um, that have decided that they want salt on their food. Um, so it was a group of macaques that were brought, um, I think, to Gibraltar, one of those smaller uh, locations brought by the Romans. Um, and now there's a group of them living on an island that can't actually support their population. So people have been giving them sweet potatoes forever. And there was one female who decided to 
wash her sweet potato in the ocean. Um, and we can trace it back to one individual female. Um, and now all of them do it. Um, and they're the only group in the world who does this. And they do it with everything now, including rice, which is very entertaining because they have to <laughs> put it in the water and then pick up every single little piece. Um, and, and the only kind of explanation, I mean, beyond maybe just cleanliness, um, is that they like the salt. Um, so they're salt macaques. Um, they, they just want some salt on their sweet potato, um, which is really, really cool. And then also, so my advisor is Dr. Jill Preetz, and she studies chimpanzees at Fongoli, which is a site in uh, Senegal. And they have this really cool um, learned behavior um, that's taught of hunting with spears, um, and they actually hunt bush babies. So um, there aren't very many uh, groups of primates in the world um, who do this, and it's something that's fairly local, um, and they have to learn how to make the tools um, to be able to do this. They also termite fish, and they do all sorts of amazing things. Um, so primates definitely have culture, um, and to think that other primates besides ourselves don't have culture, or even the other animals don't have it, is just just not true. Mm -hmm. And is the is the termite fishing where they stick the stick in and then they wiggle it and the termite? Yeah, okay. I think I've seen yeah, that in documentaries. Yeah, they, this, they, they make a termite, you know, tool and stick it in the termite mm -hmm. mound and then lick them off so the termites don't bite them. Um, and Honestly, across yeah. several different uh, groups, but. <laughs> I'm sure they're probably better at tool making than I am a lot of these non-human primates. <laughs> they're probably more handy than <laughs> than a lot of than a lot of humans. Um yeah, no, that spear hunting is absolutely unbelievable. Just the idea of like a like a are those larger monkeys or are they small monkeys that hunt or um I mean they're they're chimpanzees. Okay. Um, so they're quite large. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's just fascinating. They actually make like it, it's just a if you just looked at it, it just looks like a stick. Um, but they make a tool um, that they very precisely create in order to do this. Um, and they they're actually pretty good at, at catching the bush babies. They have a pretty high percentage of success, higher than lions, um, when it wow. comes to uh, catching. Is that like a food source for them That's or? Uh, yeah, a small percentage of their diet is meat, um, and they do actually um, have this really interesting uh, meat sharing um, behavior where they will share meat with each other. Um, and of course, it depends on your rank and you know who you are and how you caught it and when you caught it and how you're feeling today. Um, but it it's very very key um, to just kind of their life. It seems so. It's really cool. <laughs> that is really cool. That is yeah. Yeah, so our, um, what, I guess going back to the idea of, I guess not related as much to the gut microbiome, but in terms of stomachs, what kind of things do primates eat? So primates around the world eat a variety of things. Um, of course, a lot of them eat leaves, um, and there are certain primates who specialize on leaves, um, and they only eat leaves, and they're called the flivorous. Um, so big fancy word says you eat leaves. Um, there's also frugivores who eat uh, mainly fruit. Um, and then you can eat 
flowers, they can eat seeds, they can eat tree sap, um, they can eat insects, they can eat most anything they put in their mouth. No, um, you know, primates around the world specialize on different um, food sources and they're able to eat different things. I mean, a lot of species are opportunistic, so they can eat a variety of items whenever they find it. I mean, one interesting thing um, that's similar and related to the gut microbiome is that for primates whose diet changes seasonally based on flowering um, plants or fruiting plants and things like that, where um, food sources aren't available year round, um, seasonal food sources, they actually will have a change in their gut microbiome seasonally to match the available food. Wow. Which is amazing. Um, and the coolest part is that some of these things also occur in humans. Um, and this happens to us as well. Um, and the best thing is it's not cognitively happening, right? It's just our bodies and the environment around us interacting um, and letting us still be able to eat food and, and be healthy. Yeah. I think a lot of like, I definitely don't think of it enough how much the environment affects humans and other animals um, in ways that we, we don't consciously think of. Um, we're just so shaped by our environment. And that's, that's a really cool, really cool area of study. Um, but yeah, one other thing that I was kind of wondering in general um, was in terms of around the world, where can we find primates? So most primates are found um, along the equatorial line. Um, so most of them are in you know, tropical or savanna or you know, quite hot places. Um, there are a couple that live actually up in Japan. Um, I don't know, have you ever seen the snow monkey footage? Um, the snow macaques, they actually are the ones that are in the little um, thermal vents and they look, it looks like they're in a hot tub, um, living the dream. Um, so most primates are found in tropical or savanna areas. Um, and we have you know, the primates of the Americas, which are found in Central and South America. I mean, the jungles and the tropical forests there. Um, and then of course, the tropical forest of Africa, also the savanna of Africa. Um, and then throughout um, the regions of Asia, there's some in very different uh, locations, including those snow macaques, which are Adorable. Yeah. So um, primates do actually have the ability to um, adapt through evolutionary time to different climates. Not every monkey is in a, a tropical forest. Um, that's not where they all are. It's the first thing we think of, but they mm -hmm. are found, you know, throughout throughout the world, which is super nice. There aren't any native to uh, North America, but there are some who uh, have made their home here. Um, they're not supposed to be out, but they're, they're out, and there are some populations. Um, I know there are some in America. Oh, wow. That's, I didn't know that. <laughs> there wow. Are a couple, uh, there, there are a couple of lemur groups and a couple of macaque groups, um, and maybe a couple other that I, I'm not aware of that are uh, currently out and about, um, huh. mostly in you know, warmer climates because yeah. they're not built for the cold. Yeah, Wow. That oh is fascinating. Um, so believe it or not, the mm -hmm. half hour is almost up. So thank you so much for talking with okay. us. Um, but our, our tradition mm -hmm. here is the non-human listener shout out of the week. So do you want to give our non-human listener shout out of the week? 
Yeah, so my non-human listener is Millie May, and she is the best floof you'll ever meet. I'm a little biased, but she is a purebred mutt, and she is about nine years old, and I love her to death, and she is currently asleep. Amazing. <laughs> Living the life. Living the dream. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on our show. No worries. It's great. It's so fun. I'm so excited. Yeah, I learned a whole lot about primates today. Um, definitely, yeah. I, I, I think my, my knowledge base was low, but I feel a lot more comfortable knowing more about primates now. So I'm really happy with that. <laughs> yeah, my, my knowledge base was definitely like I knew a little I knew a little bit about ecotourism um not sanctuaries but more of you know more of some negative things about ecotourism but I feel like I learned a lot more about um you know more about research and the positive things (laughs) all right well thanks so much for listening and uh come back next week for some more awesome anthro topics Uh, until then bye Bye.